there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Yeah, he doesn't need a safety pin. He's Dr. Rasha Batar, and he's back with some advanced medicine here. Welcome back, my friend, as we kick off the broadcast week. This is the first time we've gotten to talk since the miracle on uh, on Election Day. Yep, absolutely. That That's exactly right. I, I was following it pretty closely, as I'm sure you were, and uh, it's pretty interesting, all the all the fallout and the absurdities in the mainstream media and some of the things that have been said. I actually thought about this, and all the conversations I've had since then have all revolved around this whole thing about the mainstream media and the misinformation that's being propagated, and I couldn't really mm-hmm. wait till we got on the radio <laughs> today so that we could talk about some of these things. I had a feeling. You know what I did? I went to bed early because I was like, eh, you know, Hillary's going to win. The, the, the fix is in, right? I wake up the next morning, I'm like, what planet did I wake up on? I need a safety pin. I can't handle it. I, I wanted a woman president no matter what kind of criminal she was. <laughs> Actually, believe it or not, I had told a couple of my friends and told my wife about two weeks before that I thought Trump was going to take it, and I got mm-hmm. convinced more and more about that. The reason was really because of reading history. If you read Nostradamus's work, Nostradamus had made a prediction that the true the two great superpowers would unite against a common foe. And so for those of you that know what who Nostradamus was, he made some very interesting um, predictions, but that was one of his predictions for around the period between 2015 to 2018 would be that the two great superpowers, and that would be Russia and the U.S. So I kind of felt that maybe Nostradamus has been pretty pretty much right on the money. He predicted Hitler in the World War II, World War One, the, the dropping of the towers, the twin towers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, mm. so uh, you were going back that. from a whole, whole back, back years of prognostication to get to that point. So, we're all well, last yeah. hour we were talking about the fact that uh, Trump actually met with Andy Wakefield during the election, not that night, but I mean during the cycle, and and acknowledged that he knows full well about the danger and the issues around vaccination. He knows about the CDC whistleblower, so. Uh, this is unprecedented because, you know, the history of, of Republicans and Democrats on this vaccine issue, they've all been a bunch of wankers. Well, Robert, it, it goes actually a lot deeper than that. And I know that I, when I say this, it's going to jostle your memory. But Ann and Alden, who introduced mm-hmm. you and I, yep. what, seven, 16, 17 years ago. Yes. As you know, Ann has worked for Trump for many years. And as you know, that I treated Ann and Alden's grandson. And so years ago, they had mentioned to me at that point that Trump had seen um, some of the video footage that they had shot. So he knew about it back then, yes. about the Mercury issue. And uh, so anyway, it's, it's all supposed to happen. So it'll, it'll be interesting what happens. But Trump has been aware of this vaccine uh, Mercury autism connection for over a decade and a half. Yeah, a real long time. And, you know, the thing is, nobody can really pin him down on turn. He's not a pure ideologue, but he really loves America. That I don't doubt. 
And, you know, this is where all the prognosticators are now going, okay, what is he going to do now that he's in? He's in. Was he going to change here? He's going to change there. But on the, the, the places where he knows because he knows that he knows, he's not swayable. That's the thing I see about this guy. It's like not because of political convenience that he'll suddenly forget that he knows vaccines can be very dangerous. Well, that's the thing that really is annoying. Listening to the media talk about that, you know, he's, he's now going back and swing back on his word about building the wall and about immigration on uh, Muslims. And the bottom line is he long ago said that he was open to amending some of those hardline um, policies. But what you're trying to say that now the guy's looking, now he's gotten into the presidency and now he's trying to see which is the best way of doing something to, in a balanced way to achieve his end goal and he isn't, doesn't, he's not being given the flexibility to actually allow for some of this stuff to happen. One of the things that was amazing to me is that they're blaming Trump for all this violence. Yet, explain this to me. If it's Trump supporters that are committing this violence, that doesn't make any sense because they got their candidate in. So obviously it's not the Trump supporters. So then it's the Democrats or it's the, it's the, opposite, the opposition that's creating this um, animosity and creating this the, the hate crimes and all these other things that are occurring. And aren't they the ones that were supposed to be the ones that we were concerned about, that they were going to be feeling, they were the ones that were supposed to be the tolerant crowd, that was supposed to be No, no, tolerant? It, it, that's over. I mean, the left is the most intolerant in terms, and I know that's a, a generalization, but as we see it, as the media portrays it, they have become the most intolerant people on the planet at this point. And, uh, you know, it's a sad, sad irony that they they preach tolerance at the same time. If their views are different than theirs, then immediately they bring out terms like racism, sexism, homophobia, all these things. And, uh, you know, Trump certainly is not that yet. They continue to call him that. That's why I try to, to get to the basics. Like when we talk about a disease or a disease process, we'll go down and talk about it. And, and, you know, there's not politics involved there. We're just talking about it. Like racism is the inherent belief or the belief in the inherent genetic superiority of one race over another. How many people do you know are genuinely racist as opposed to being prejudicial or bigoted, which is more accurate of a term? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the point. And anybody who who really is um, the former as opposed to the latter, they are. it's usually an inverse correlation with the intelligence coefficient, I would think. Because that's anybody right. who tends to think that they're truly superior, mm-hmm. uh, uh, by definition, are inferior because they think that they're superior. It's just one of those... Um, I'm not sure the dunderheaded quotient. It's the DQ. Yeah, the the IQ to the DQ. They get disqualified at that point, and they're also probably heavily constipated. Our first (laughs) medical story of the day is is linking constipation to a risk of kidney disease. Now, I have some ideas of why this may be the case, and I'm sure you do too. One of them might be just auto intoxication over the years, but. What other problems could be played out because the GI tract is not balanced? Kidney disease, certainly that's one of the things that could happen. Well, when we look at the uh, organs of detoxification, and again, the whole premise behind the head map that, that we've been using in my clinic now for 17 years that we've now put into an electronic format, is to assess the efficiency of those major organs of detoxification, which being the gastrointestinal system, the hepatic system, the liver, the renal system, the kidneys, and then the integumentary system, the, the skin, which is the largest organ of detoxification. So if you have one organ of elimination that is not eliminating, i.e. the gastrointestinal system because it's constipated, it would 
follow logic that because there's more toxic buildup, more um, substances that should be eliminated that are not being eliminated, it's creating a backlog, which then creates a greater burden on the other system. So renal mm-hmm. system, if we just want to, I'm sure the only reason they saw it in the kidneys is because that's all they looked for, but if they looked in the liver uh, or other areas, I bet if they looked at the number of people that had skin issues, skin eruptions, rashes, eczema, whatever you want to call it, they would see that there, was a, there would be a preponderance of those individuals having those type of problems that were also constipated. So basically, think of an exhaust pipe in a car. You stick a banana in the exhaust pipe like that uh, Eddie Murphy movie, remember? Yes. You the banana in the exhaust pipe and the car couldn't get going. Well, that's basically what happens. You shut down the system. Mm-hmm. And the kidneys, the liver, the skin are going to be, there's going to be a greater burden on them when you plug up the gastrointestinal system. Similarly, if you plug up the liver, you're going to have a problem with the gut and the Kidneys and the skin, or you plug up the ki- uh, the 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 you know the kidneys, you're going to have more yeah. load on the liver and the gut and the skin, etc. Exactly. I mean, think yeah. about that. We've talked about how important the garbage man is to a neighborhood, the same way your colon is to your body. If it's not relinquishing the garbage and getting it out, helping it to get on out, uh, you know, there's going to be interchange with the toxic waste that is sitting there, and eventually that will have impact on the rest of the body. The, the body will try to sequester it, but it's not going to do it forever. And then you see over time the burden on the other excretory organs and the compensation through the skin, as you said. Again, this is stuff we can teach a sixth grader, a fifth grader, probably exactly. a fourth grader to understand. To, you're exactly right. You remember the, the joke. We've, I think, talked about this joke on the online before or on the radio show before where all the organs got into argument and they were all arguing who was the most important and the heart saying he's the most important, the brain saying you know, he, mm-hmm. he's the most important, and they're arguing back and forth. And finally, you hear a little... Um, sound in the background is the anus saying that I'm the most important. <laughs> and all the other organs say, what, you're the most important? They all start laughing. Say, yeah, sure, you're the most important. So he gets really frustrated. And he just clamps down and squints his eyes and gets constipated. And all of a sudden, they're like, okay, wait a second, wait a second, you are the most important. Right, so, please, please get back to work. Exactly. exactly. And that's why we make poop jokes here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, because this is the way you learn. <laughs> well, Robert, you did hear about the new study. Are we going to cover the new study, the one that... Uh, the gastroenterology study that came out. Which one was that? Is that in the list that Superdon sent us? I'm not sure. It's the one that said that nine out of ten constipated patients just don't give a crap. <laughs> Thank you for saying it properly. I was like, <laughs> hold my breath. Don't hit the dump button. Of course, that I, would be I appropriate. I say the SH, you know, but as a question, I know. I know that that could get me beat, so I won't. Well, that's why, Super Don, we do call it the dump button for a reason. <laughs> when Dr. Ah, look out. I think Super Don just got the joke. Yes, right. Well, okay. <laughs> I know. I was in, I was in the bathroom. Sorry. I well, we were going sixth grade, but now we're down to fifth and fourth grade. And yes, Super Don is not constipated any longer. Uh, so he, he was in the bathroom doing his business. That's why right. he's being efficient. Briefly, Dr. Batar, we had a minute before break, but uh, I remember years ago when we first started talking about like kidney issues, and you would always bring up that cadmium seemed to play a larger role than anything in, in kidney health. Is that still a perspective that you hold? Well, kidney, the thing is that you, when you talk about high blood pressure, cadmium is the uh, the most common reason for high blood pressure, yet in the mainstream medical text, like uh, Cecil's textbook of internal medicine, it talks, it diagnoses that diagnosis of hyper blood, um, hypertension is idiopathic hypertension. So it's really cadmium. And a lot of the ACE inhibitor drugs, they're affecting the renin-angiotensin you know, these are the hormones that are released by the kidneys that regulate blood pressure, uh, and cadmium actually affects that. So I think cadmium has a big role in blood pressure that happens to be 
coming from the kidney source as opposed to, say, the vascular source. Mm-hmm. All right, well, remember, and folks... Sports, yeah. It affects lung, the lung parenchyma, too, so there's a lot of problems. Cadmium toxicity is like the third most significant when you look behind lead and mercury. Well, isn't it interesting you mentioned kidney and then lung, and you go back to Chinese medicine 5,000-plus years ago, and they saw a link between kidney function and lung function. Very clear. Who knows? Cadmium may have played a role way back then. All right, folks, we got a lot more healing to go. Advanced medicine version of the Robert Scott Bell Show. If you ever miss a particular episode, you can easily also find it at medicalrewind.com. Medicalrewind.com. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. We mentioned last week here on Advanced Medicine with Dr. Vitar that there's a, uh, an upcoming webinar that we wanted you to participate in. It's coming up this Thursday, the 17th of November. And if you haven't already secured your space, I'm going to ask Dr. Batar if there's space left because I know it was an overwhelming response, but you go to askdrbuttar.com. Ask, D-R-B-U-T-T-A-R.com. It'll get you right there. Is there room enough for more folks that didn't hear about it the first time? Well, we only sent out one email, and we've got over 1,300 people that have registered, and there's only 1,000 spots. But, you know, a lot of times people either can't make it or they forget or whatever. So the advantage, though, of going ahead and registering still is that all the people that are registered will still get the link for the webinar after we um, play it, and it will be available for like a week. So even if you can't make it or if you haven't registered or you don't think you're going to get a spot, still register because it's still a benefit. Now, this, we're going to... We're going to make a very special offer, very similar to the Truth About Cancer conference when we talked about that little tool that we're going to have for people in the refrigerator. Robert, you yes, remember that? Yes, I do. Yeah, so we're going to have the same type of thing. So all, for all the people that will be actually on the live webinar, they'll they'll get that uh, special little bonus thing. But for everybody, even if you haven't registered or you think you may not be able to actually attend, still go and register because you'll get a link. Only the people that are registered before the webinar will get the link to actually watch the webinar afterwards. Okay. AskDrBatar.com. Go there. We'll add that into the show notes if it's not already there at RobertScottBell.com. Now, we were talking a little bit about the blood pressure issue. We talked about kidneys, constipation, etc. There's an article here that says blood pressure and cholesterol drugs fail to slow cognitive decline. Now, I'm sure you're surprised by this, Dr. Batar, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is like one of those type of things that you have to, you know, listen to it again. Like, what? What are they saying? And it's, it's really, um, it's really uh, an absurdity to make that type of comment. Because, I mean, first of all, what's blood pressure and cholesterol drugs got to do with cognitive decline? And obviously, you know, when you start looking at it from that perspective, why should you be concerned about those particular drugs associated with the cognitive decline? The bottom line is that taking any drug is going to contribute to cognitive decline. And so when they say it fails to stop cognitive decline, that would be a moment of duh to me because, mm-hmm. of course, it's going to fail to stop the decline because anytime you impair any system in the body, you stick a drug in there that's going to prevent the metabolic processes from going forward, you are going to impede the system from working, which is going to be contributing to any problem, including cognitive decline. So of yeah. it's not going to fail to decrease or decrease the rate of cognitive decline, it's only going to accelerate it. 
Yeah, we've covered stories how there may be purposes for somewhat elevated blood pressure in the elderly due to vascular changes and things. But on the issue of cholesterol, the whole idea of reducing cholesterol that would help your brain and nervous system in any way is, is just absolutely absurd. But again, there's a cognitive dissonance within the medical community on this issue. They don't seem to read the literature. Yeah, that's exactly right, Robert, because the brain is made up of fat and, and lipids and Cholesterol in itself is the most vital component of all cell membranes. Without cholesterol, we, we wouldn't have any sex hormones. We would be all organic heaps of mush because we would have no integrity within our cell walls, within our cell membranes. Mm-hmm. I said cell walls like we were plants there for a second. but you know, you know, Trump's going to build a cell wall for you now. <laughs> I'm okay with that. You know what? Because the way, the way I look at it, he's trying to protect the country. Yes. And I personally am in agreement with that. And I think anybody that's here legitimately would not have a problem with that. Because here's the thing, not to jump off the topic that we started there <laughs> and not to take your bait because you just cast that little fishing rod out there with a little bait and I'm taking your hook, line, and sinker. But, hmm. you know, the thing is that anybody who's here legitimately is not going to argue with it. And people would say, well, what about the other people? Well, here's the thing. They're un- by their mere existence and being here illegally, they're undermining the entire process, the r- rule of law, the regulations that were set up, then if you're not gonna if you're gonna ignore that law, then what's the purpose of having any laws? What's the purpose of having any regulations? So to accommodate people for doing the wrong thing, you're rewarding undesired behavior as far as I'm concerned. So Well, this you know, is the Angelina Jolie school of protecting your borders, right? You 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 know, you've got a DNA uh, attribute that says you're gonna get heart disease. Angelina Jolie says, Hey, take out my heart so I won't have a heart attack. I mean it, it, <laughs> I, I know I'm picking on her because she, listen, the, the idea is there's not a lot of thought happening. There's so much dissonance on this front, so much emotionalism and thinking, oh, it must be racism. You hate Mexicans. It's like, no, he doesn't hate Mexicans. He's about this country. If you're from the United States, if you're from Great Britain, we had a lot of listeners in the UK. You should be for UK. That was what Brexit was about. We don't want unelected bureaucrats in Brussels telling us what to do. There's nothing racist about that. <sighs> All right. Well, if I have to explain I totally that. Agree. Yeah, and if you need more explaining, we'll have to do it after the show. But for now, we got more and a big question of the day about an 11-year-old boy with a lot of strange symptoms. We'll see if Dr. Batar has an idea about what may be the best thing to do. Who'd you say that masked man was? It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day! on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. All right, if you, you miss anything and you can't wait, GCN puts up the archives almost immediately, our syndicator, and then you can go to medicalrewind.com to get the Dr. Batar-inspired advanced medicine episodes, hundreds of hours available for you. And, of course, robertscottbell.com. And uh, we mentioned askdrbatar.com tonight because if you'd like to sign up for the upcoming webinar and all the things that may be happening because of that, Go there now. Okay, now we go to you, the listener. You send in your questions, your comments. Sometimes you call when we're live. Sometimes you leave a message when we're on the air. And sometimes you leave it at the website at robertscottbell.com. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. All right, this question, just in the nick of time, Dr. Batara is here to answer Devon. Devon says, my son has been experiencing these symptoms ever since he had bronchitis. 11 years old, 
fatigue, stiff right arm, chest pains, back pain, neck pain. One of the cuts on his, uh, I don't know where the cut is, isn't healing. He has no appetite in the morning or in the afternoon, but has an appetite for dinner. He has headaches. Sometimes he's dizzy and a swollen lymph node that is going down. Now, Dr. Batar, I, I kind of sense where you might go with this. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on an 11-year-old kid, and obviously Devon's very concerned and probably thinking about the worst. You know, that when you look at these things, that all these crazy things come to mind, but maybe there's some concern that somebody needs to take a look at this. Yeah, I think, Robert, you're absolutely right. And you and I have talked about this. We know we're, I know that you and I are exactly in the same sheet of music with this, that in, when it comes to acute medicine, there are certain things that, you know, we have really, really as a, society advanced when it comes to the trauma and acute care but when it comes to chronic palliative type things we are very very barbaric and that's really what our audience that's what when we're talking to people that's really what our audience is we're not trying to say that robert and i have all the answers for acute medicine this is a perfect example this is an acute situation and there's certain things that you know the er doc trauma doc in me in me my head kicks Mm -hmm. in my, my my thought process you have to have a high index of suspicion. So when you hear somebody that's having fatigue, back pain, neck pain, lymph nodes that are swollen up, um, uh, headaches, you know, probably some associated photophobia. I mean, the first thing I'm thinking is a meningococcemia, and that's something, you know, emergent. I mean, in 36, 48 hours, a person can be dead. Now, I have no idea how long this is going on, but you really need to go see a physician and have some basic blood work done. This is not the type of question that should be submitted to us on a radio thing asking these kind of questions. I mean, don't get me wrong, we take this as a compliment that you trust us that much, but this is something that this is why doctors are there, and this is what they should be used for, that you need to make sure the child doesn't have something major going on because this is not normal for mm-hmm. an 11-year-old. And some of these things could be, you know, you've only got a short window of opportunity to deal with them, and if you don't, you're going to have a catastrophic potential outcome, which nobody wants, obviously. Right. Now, she said that a lot of these symptoms have been experienced since he had bronchitis, a couple of months ago and you know a lot of times as we talk about the the lung compensation scenario where you've had an acute infection of some kind and it goes chronic into the lungs that tells me there is liver kidney congestion you know and again here this is not me saying oh only go see a homeopath right because this could be very serious that you need an intervention to get out of a crisis and then move back toward that you know clean the body detox the body give the body what it needs but when you're talking about the right arm the right side is the side of the liver you know it would indicate some of the things like not having an appetite in the morning or afternoon these are indicative of some things but there are enough serious issues surrounding this to say you know what that's where you do want to get some kind of intervention to be sure there's not an immediate crisis that could be life-threatening exactly that's the key to make sure there's no nothing immediate going on because if there's something chronic going on, then, you know, you've got the luxury of time. But if something acute going on, you don't have the luxury of time. And that's exactly the point, Robert. Yeah, and she, uh, you know, you know, one, one of the... One of, mm, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, uh, he or she, I don't know Devon is a man or a woman, because we get a lot of strange names. And I don't mean your name is strange, Devon, but we don't know necessarily if it's... It's not normal, like Rashid yeah. Guitar, right? Like Rashid, yeah. Like, who knows how to even pronounce your name. Uh, but uh, also pointing, she's like, I looked it up, and it could be pointing to leukemia. I mean, I, I don't know if it's leukemia or not, but I mean, obviously, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing you want to get some, some work done to say, all right, we can rule some, some things out so you don't have to think worst-case scenario if it isn't indeed that. But, but even if it's leukemia, Robert, you've still got some time. But if it's yes. like something like meningococcemia, you don't have any right. time. I mean, you've got 48 hours. And again, I don't know, maybe this has been going on for 
weeks and months. But, you know, this bronchitis and now starting to get these kind of symptoms, a lot of times these type of infections that start from an initial symptom or initial infection that was subclinical in nature during presentation mm-hmm. or it was only partially treated because the antibiotic what they used or whatever they used what didn't sufficiently clean up the, the problem. And so it lingers and then causes a secondary infection, and that's how it seeds. So these are, you know, we don't know enough history over here, but mm-hmm. it's even if it's leukemia, which is obviously nobody, you know, wants their child to have leukemia, but even then you've got some time. But you don't have time with something like meningococcemia. Right. So th- the point is, again, you really need to take your child in and have a physician evaluate them. And, and maybe if they check the white count and there's no raging white count and there's no other thing going on and, you know, maybe he has an amazing ability to compensate. And I've seen this. I mean, this, I'm not giving you a textbook answer. I was the first doctor in like 30-some years in the state of North Carolina that picked up a case of meningococcemia, and the child had come in twice in the 24 hours before to the emergency room, and both doctors had sent him home with uh, this thing that was a um, bacterial infection. And when he, Of course, when he came back the third time within that 24-hour period, you know, that, that was an index in my head, too. But then he had the classic uh, signs and symptoms, and we had to medevac him out. And he, literally, I mean, he had hours left to live if, if they hadn't taken care of him as fast as we were able to take care of him. But we had to get him to the center from, um, to the Carolinas Medical Center, which was like an hour and a half, two hours away. But the point yeah, is, again... I, I was going to bring that point up, too, that sometimes and you hear these stories, and I've heard them, and, and you, too, that you go in. You know, you dutifully go in as a parent to say, okay, I'm not a big fan of modern medicine, but at this point, I think it's appropriate. Let's get an intervention. And then they say, we can't find anything, right? If you right. heard this, right. and you go to the neck, we can't find anything. And it's like, do you give up or do you keep pushing forward? You're the parent. You, you know, those are those times, too, when it's easy to panic and you find a time to get quiet and pray and meditate or something to open up, you know, the guidance that's probably screaming to say, this is what's happening here. And it may, in the end, not be as cr- critical, but there are times where there are lives that are saved because you listened to that still, quiet voice that was whispering from above and beyond, from the Creator, saying, this is where you need to go. Robert, that is such an important point. I'm so glad you made it. And another, to add on to that, another point that I think is important is when you pray for that guidance, or you ask for that guidance, also ask for the guidance for the provider, the senior child, or seeing your family mm-hmm. member, or seeing yourself. Ask that ask for guidance that they may be enlightened to help you the best possible way. Because I'm telling you, that's, that, that's one of the most important things you can, you can do for the provider who's taking care of you. I, I ask my patients routinely to pray that give me insight and give me wisdom to make sure that I'm doing the best that I can for them. And it's not that, you know, a doctor may have all the well intentions and all the knowledge, but sometimes it's just that movement into a certain direction and you don't know what made you move but spirit made you move into that way into that direction and that's what makes the difference so you know that point that you just made is really good i i I can't overstress that yeah well you could be the most awesome mechanic in the world right and you know everything about the mechanics of a of a car yet you know spirit's trying to tell you there's something you're missing and you're just so obstinate because you know the car that you don't listen to the intuitive nudges, per se. And, and, and we've said this before. This is where modern medicine has gone wrong in terms of its system, systematically beating out that concept of God and spirit and intuition. Yeah, Robert, this is a, a point that is so well made by a movie I just saw yesterday called Doctor Strange. It's a Marvel character. Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Books? Doctor Strange, that's oh, right. you got to watch it, Robert. I thought it was one of the best Marvel movies because it's, it's, it talks about, it brings up this very point we just talked about. 
because he's an incredible doctor and he gets injured and how his resistance and what he learns it's and it's all about you know talking about supernatural and it's talking about good and, and evil but it's talking about there's so many things that we don't understand and it's a power of belief and what the power to heal in fact they talk about that the power to heal is is within I mean, wow. you're going to love the movie. I'm serious. I love the movie. There were things should, should we, saying, come, should like we saying things before they're being said in the movie to my wife, and my wife's like, look at him. I mean, I was like, this is what they're going to say. And, and it was like somebody had been listening to our radio show that made that movie. I was just thinking maybe, Super Don, can you co- contact Marvel and get some of the receipts for us if they've, if they've been listening yeah. to us and putting a script together? <laughs> <laughs> but they really did a good job. Uh, Robert, how much time do we have? Because there's a really interesting story I can bring about this thing with the child as an example. But I don't know how much time we have. Yeah, we got, we got uh, just under three minutes. We're good. Okay, so... This is a, not about a child, but it's about an adult. Just recently this happened. A guy, really nice guy, he's an electrician. He um, has one leg. So I actually happened to ask him, you know, how did you lose your leg? And he says, well, I ended up having uh, necrotizing fasciitis, and that's how I lost my leg. So I thought, oh, wow, you know, it's amazing that you survived that because necrotizing fasciitis, I mean, it's like 24, 36 hours a person's dead. You can literally see the infection spreading, and the only way to save a person like that is by surgical debridement. You can't, and no, no antibiotics or no natural therapies or anything will do. I mean, you can watch the infection spreading that fast, so you have to basically amputate. So that's the standard, or, you know, first a uh, fasciotomy or, or a really debridement, surgical debridement, mm-hmm. and then eventually amputation. That's the only way to save somebody like that. So after I got to know this person, I happened to ask him a little bit more about his history, what happened. Well, come to find out that he, what he was told was necrotizing fascia, uh, what he was told was, um, um, necrotizing fasciitis was actually not that because he explained to me the symptoms. I asked him what happened, and he said, well, I dropped some weight on my feet. So I said, well, then you must have got an infection, cut, the, cut your foot, toe, something. He said, no, nothing happened. And then he told me that he went to the hospital three different times with his wife over a five-day period, and they kept on sending him home. Now, here's the problem. With necrotizing fasciitis, 24, 36 hours max, you're dead. So if this went over five days, that couldn't be necrotizing fasciitis. And so then he tells me that he dropped the weights on his foot, and there was no break in skin. And I realized he had what they call a compartment syndrome because there's internal um, pressure that builds up that causes compression, what we call mass effect, on the nerves and the blood vessels. And because of the soft tissue swelling, it prevents the blood vessels from being able to deliver blood to the um, Wow. And it causes essentially like a gangrene to set in because there's lack of blood flow, and Holy that causes God. tissue death. And that's really what had happened with him. And they misdiagnosed him, and then to save their own butt, the doctors, they said, oh, necrotizing fasciitis, we've got to oh take his leg. Gosh. The reason yeah. they take his leg was because they ended up not, they weren't competent. So wow. this type of point, you know, this was somebody, now the wife finally screamed at them and said, you're going to do something about my husband and you know, save his life, because he could have then gotten sept, uh, septicemia and, and died from, you know, from any number of complications. But the reason I brought this point in um, home is because what Robert said originally, that you have to... Be the parent and push, ask, you know, ask for guidance and, mm-hmm. and take your child and, and whether it's a child or your loved one, your parents, whoever it is, ask for guidance, but don't hesitate and hold back. Once you know you've got time, then you've got the luxury. Yeah, exactly. Beautifully said, Dr. Batar. We've got one more segment here on Advanced Medicine. We're going to talk about why teens are getting more depressed in America. What the heck is going on? What have they lost? The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Make 
making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. Warning, warning. The next story is a drug commercial parading as the news. Headline reads, depression becoming more common among U.S. teens. And it basically says, we're worried because there are many young adults with untreated depression. Untreated. Which means what? You get to talk to them about what, what they're, what's ailing them, what's bothering them? No, you get to drug them. If that weren't bad enough, post-election, the colleges and universities of America, which I will not send my kids to based on what I'm reading about here, tolerant educators exiled Trump voters from campus, according to Glenn Reynolds on USA Today. They've created safe spaces at many universities so they can play with Play-Doh, get coloring books, happy puppy play, and psychological counseling because their gal did not win. It's it's unbelievable. You know, I love this this article. Um, the reason it really really hit home for me, and I got to read this one paragraph. Uh, it says the response to the shock has been to turn campuses into kindergarten. The University of Michigan Law School announced a post-election self-care event with food and play, including coloring sheets, play-doh, positive card making, Legos, and bubbles with your fellow law students. Embarrassed by the attention, <laughs> University of Michigan Law scrubbed the announcement from its website, perhaps concerned that people would, would wonder if its graduates would require Legos and bubbles in the event of stressful litigation. <laughs> and that is beautiful because that's exactly the point. we got to talk to your brother because even Stanford was on the list with uh, psychological counseling available to those with uh, uncertainty, anger, angst, and fear following the election. Yeah. I mean, the point that this uh, that this writer makes, this uh, person by the name of uh, Glenn Reynolds, Reynolds, yeah, it, it's such a valid point, and that is that the very thing that these universities are supposed to be promoting, which is tolerance and openness, and and um, allowing people to be to be able to voice their opinions without having any concern for ramifications. By having these type of things set up, that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying. They're telling people that if you're a Trump voter, that you are a bad person, that you are an antagonist, that you're a bigot, that you're whatever. And it, it's completely contradictory to what supposedly the premise of these universities is. Yeah. Well, we can't talk about stuff because we might become offended. And if we're offended, our feelings might be hurt. We just don't know how to cope. We need some Play-Doh. Bring in the Play-Doh, Super Don. I like the bubbles. That sounds. You like the fun. bubbles? Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying You're to right, sit here and envision a law student. I mean, you think of a law student. One of these prestigious schools are going to be a lawyer, you yeah. know, district attorney, prosecuting attorney, playing with Play-Doh and blowing bubbles. I just, you know, yeah, that's right. Exactly. You, you of them. I got to read this. Go ahead, Rob. Go ahead. I was going to say I was going to read this one paragraph towards the conclusion. When you treat an election, and this is the same article, when you treat an election in which the wrong candidate, in quotes, wrong candidate wins as a traumatic event on par with the 9-11 attacks, calling for counseling and safe spaces, you're implicitly saying that everyone who supported that, quote, wrong candidate is, well, unsafe. (laughs) Despite the talk about diversity and inclusion, this is really sending the signal that people who supported Trump, and Trump carried the state of Michigan, by the way, so there are probably quite a few Mich- uh, Trump supporters on Michigan's campus mm-hmm. that they they aren't really included in acceptable campus culture. It is not promoting diversity; it's enforcing uniformity. 
It's not promoting inclusion, it's practicing exclusion. And though it pretends to be about nurturing, it's actually about being mean to those who don't fall in the nurtured class. Um, He goes on to say, uh, Shisalo says he wants, uh, this is the president of the University of Michigan, he wants the University of Michigan to be a welcoming place for all members of society, but how welcome can students who back Trump feel in Mm. the wake of this performance? You know what they should do to make all those university students feel safe? They do these condom giveaways, but what we need are large body size condoms for men and women. And all the people that don't feel safe, unsafe, they'll be safe. You wrap them in these big body, they'll, they'll roll around campus, but nothing can, nothing can touch them. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, they actually, in this article, it goes on to say that there's a YouTube rant by a Jonathan Pye that points out this sort of fear and what they call othering mm-hmm. of political opponents. And, um, Pi's right to tell people that they should engage in discussion rather than the dismissal of people they disagree with, and colleges and universities should listen to him. I mean, I think that's a very good point that, you know, we need to be inclusive, yeah. not exclusive. And we promise if you call us up and disagree with us, we won't need to play with Play-Doh or Bubbles. <laughs> Unless we want to, because it's fun, right? And puppies and kitty cats. Puppies All right, folks, good. another great advanced medicine Monday. In the record books. Thank you, Dr. Batar. Thank you, Super Don. Thanks to Kent Heck and Lively. Thank you as well to Captain Morgan. And now it's time to tell you what you need to know before we go. Go ahead. The power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show.